you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't, the scripture we're going to be looking at is on page 6 in your bulletin. There's also a place to take notes in your bulletin on page 7. We're going to look and focus today on verses 21 to 23, but we're going to start our reading today in verse 19. So we're going to read Matthew 6, 20, or 19 to 23. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is God's Word. So last week we began a series called Gospel Giving. Um, we're looking at how the good news of Jesus influences uh, what we do with our money. And, and we said last week that Jesus doesn't talk about money because he wants to manipulate us. Okay, we know that there are churches, there are pastors, there are organizations that do try that. They want to manipulate you so they can get your money. But Jesus warns us against the dangers of money because he loves us. Okay, and Jesus, he wants us to know freedom. Jesus knows how many of us worry and are controlled by money. Here's a test. Okay? Are you controlled by money? Here's a test. If you have ever thought this, or if you think this now, that our money problems come from not having enough of it. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever thought, you know what, if I just had more money, life would be easier, better, or less stressful. Have you ever thought that? If you've ever thought that, money is already controlling you. Okay, that's the bottom line. That's why we're looking at this, is because so many of us, we are, it's, it's constant. We're, we're constantly being drawn in to the trap that money lays for us. And it controls, it controls so many people. But Jesus offers us a perspective that sets us free. His perspective that's seen in this passage, it comes again in the context of the Bible's whole teaching on money. Okay, money is about your relationship with God. And there are four ways that the Bible teaches that you can spend your money that will make God happy and will deepen your relationship with him. Okay, and so I just want to review these. We went over these last week and I've preached on these a couple weeks ago. Um, I sent out the email um, that gave a link to where those sermons are. If you didn't get that email, then make sure we, 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 that means we don't have your email. So if you want to be on our email list, you can fill out the connection card and give it to us. Love to put you on that list. But so here are four ways you can make decisions about money that will help you experience God. Okay? And so first, it's tithe. It's the tithe. You need to tithe 10% to the church you go to. What this does is puts God first in your life. Okay, second, use your money to provide for your needs. When you do that, when you spend your money to pay your bills, buy groceries, pay the rent, the mortgage, when you do that, you are reflecting the reality that God has given you 
work that, will pay, that, that, that gives you money that you can use, and God's actually providing for you through your work. Okay, and so you're rehearsing the fact that God is your provider. Um, third, when you use your money to care for others, then God is actually caring for people through you. And we see this amazing reality that not only does God provide for people, but God wants to use you to help provide for people. So you get to be the hands and the feet. You get to be the providing heart of Jesus. And when you do that, that honors God. And then fourth, when you celebrate God's goodness in life, when you buy things that you don't need, okay, that honors God, makes him happy, and that helps you reflect the reality that there is joy in this life, that God is a God of joy, and he wants you to experience not just like enough to get by, but God wants you to experience real abundant joy. And so every time you spend money in one of these four ways, and you remember your relationship with God, that's the key, right? It's when you spend money this way and remember your relationship with God, you make him happy and your relationship with him deepens, okay? And so if you embrace Jesus's perspective in these verses in Matthew 6, and you spend money in these ways, not only will you know God better, although that's enough, isn't it? I mean, that's enough. I mean, here is a way that you can know God better on a daily basis, right? But even more than that, not only will you know God better, but you will radically reduce the anxiety in your life, okay? The stress that you feel. You'll be less worried, your relationships will be happier, um, and you'll feel less stressed. I mean, last week, this actually began for people, like in response to the sermon, in our life groups as discussion happened, people are already beginning to experience change as we encourage each other to follow Jesus and what he says about money. And so last week, just to review, we saw that money doesn't last. Okay, verses 19 and 20. Money doesn't last, but we saw if we spend it in those four ways, we can make our money last forever. Okay? And so today, we're going to go on, in verses 21 and 23, we're going to see today that money consumes your life. Okay, so not only does money not last, but money also consumes your life. And what we're going to see here is that if you don't stop it, all right, if you don't stop what money wants to do in your life, it will consume and take over more and more and more of you. Okay? That's what these verses, verses 21 to 23, teach us. So let's look at this. In verse 21, Jesus starts off by saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is sort of just giving like a proverbial statement here. He's saying your heart is drawn to what you value. Okay, whatever you value, your heart goes after that. Um, what you value will draw your heart. It'll draw your affection. It'll draw your devotion, your motivation. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It could be good or bad. It'll consume your thinking and your emotions because you think it's worth, you think it's worth something. You, you, you call it treasure. Whatever you treasure, your heart will be drawn to and it'll consume more and more of your time and your energy, okay? And then Jesus goes on. He talks about this idea of an eye and a lamp and then, and then your body. And this is kind of one of those analogies that Jesus uses where sometimes you sort of read it over quickly and you pretty much get it. But if you stop and think, it starts to get confusing. Um, because he's talking about, 
the heart, he's talking about the eye. Is the eye the source of light? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Your eye doesn't actually produce light. Um, so he's not saying that, but he, what he's saying is that the eye takes what you see and then shines it on your heart, okay? And so in some ways, the idea is that what you see with your eyes will get projected onto your heart, okay? So we have a projector right here. It takes images that are fed to it, and it projects them up here on this wall, okay? So it projects these images and... Um, what Jesus is saying is, is that whatever your eye sees gets projected onto your heart and it becomes branded there. Okay? And what your eyes see actually shapes what your heart becomes. Okay? And so your eyes are projecting things onto your heart. Whatever you look at gets branded on your heart. Okay? And what's interesting here, though, is that your eyes gaze at what you treasure, right? So whatever you treasure, and you treasure things in your heart. So whatever you want will actually determine what you see, what you focus on, okay? People that are obsessed with money will constantly be aware of, they'll have like a lightning rod or an antenna that anytime money gets mentioned, anytime the financial piece of something or what something costs gets mentioned, their, their ears perk up, Right? People who are consumed with the things that they wear will be constantly noticing what everybody else wears, right? Um, this happened to me when I was growing up, uh, when I was in junior high school. Um, I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. So I had four of the same exact T-shirts, okay? I had four of the same exact T-shirts. They were all UCLA Bruin T-shirts. And they were four identical T-shirts. And so, guess what I wore to school just about every day? I didn't wear the same shirt, <laughs> okay? But I was ridiculed, mocked, made fun of, teased relentlessly because everybody said, Stephen, you wear the same clothes to school every day. Um, this was awful. And I wasn't old enough to say, hey, Mom, can we get some other shirts? I don't know why I didn't think of that. Well, that would have been so smart. Um, but it's so insane. I just lived this way and got ridiculed and teased. And it was interesting because that suffering that I went through, and, and it really was suffering, that suffering that I went through made me incredibly conscious about the things that I wear. And I didn't necessarily want, I guess I wanted to, I don't want to talk. The point is that what you, what, what you treasure, what is important to you, is what your eyes will see. Okay? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because your heart longs for things and your eyes notice them, but then what your eyes notice gets branded onto your heart. And you need to understand that this is a self-propagating cycle. Okay? This is why it's so important. Jesus talks about this because he needs you to know that you are right now involved in a self-propagating cycle. There are things that you notice, and those things are branding on your heart. And your heart then is producing things that it's telling you to notice, and then those things get rebranded. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is a cycle that if you don't understand it, if you're not aware of it, then it will just continue the way it's going now, for good or for bad. So this is the analogy that he's saying. And Jesus says, he gives us both options. He says, if your eye is healthy, 
um, verse 22, the, the middle of verse 22, so if your eye is healthy, and this word healthy, it means sincere, okay? It actually means single-purposed. And so what Jesus is saying is that if your eye is gazing on things that are worthy, like if your, God, if your eye is focused, singly focused on what God honors and what God enjoys, what God, is, uh, what God sees, then your whole body will be full of light. Okay? And, and I want you just to get this image. That what Jesus is saying is if your eye is healthy, meaning that your eye is looking at the right things, it will fill you with light. Your life will be radiant. Your life will be radiant. Do you know people like that? Do you know people that you really love to be around because they just seem to have something about them that makes you feel good? Kind of makes you feel like there might be hope? Um, I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. You can be this way if your eye is healthy. If your eye is focused on the things that are important to God, your, your life will be filled with more and more of God's light. So, but the opposite is also true. If your eye is bad, in verse 23, if your eye is bad, and this isn't like that your eye doesn't work, okay? He's not saying if your eyes are bad. Um, he's saying that if your eyes, if you're gazing at things that are bad, okay, if you're focused on things that are evil or things that don't last, Jesus says then your whole body will be full of darkness, And what Jesus then says, he says, and if, the light, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What he's saying here is that he's saying if, if your eyes are supposed to be the thing that brings light into your life, into your heart, but your eyes are gazing at dark things, bad things, then what's being projected onto your heart is not light, but darkness. Jesus knows that from within us, apart from God, not a whole lot of good, not a whole lot of light comes out of our hearts, right? And so if the thing that's supposed to bring the light of God into our hearts is bad, then man, it's pretty dark in there. It's really dark. So this is what Jesus is saying, which will give you a bottom line. Kind of a summary. Whatever you see is projected onto your heart and it consumes you. Whatever, whatever you see, whatever you notice, whatever you gaze at gets projected onto your heart and it consumes you. And so there's really two things in this passage that Jesus is talking about being consumed by. Um, the first thing that he talks about is being consumed by money. Okay, so we're going to look at what it means to be consumed by money, and then we're going to look at what it means to be consumed by Jesus. Okay, consumed by money, consumed by Jesus. And so first, consumed by money. Let's walk through this idea. Let's apply this image of if we gaze at money, what happens to us? What gets projected onto our hearts? And then how does that brand our heart? If you are consumed with money, then you are going to be consumed with stuff. Right? We're going to be consumed with, with stuff, which means you're going to be noticing things that from last week don't last. Right? These are things that get old over time. These are things that become worthless 
over time and your, your eyes are going to be focused on stuff that doesn't matter, right? That isn't going to last. Your priorities are going to be monopolized by things that can't actually satisfy you, okay? Um, there are people who say, you know what? I want to be a millionaire someday and their lives are consumed with getting to a place where they have a million dollars or more. Um, the challenge is that by the time you put all the energy and effort into being a millionaire, part of that means that you're going to end up meeting other millionaires, you're going to find out what they're like, and as you get to know millionaires, you're going to find out that millionaires, they're not happy being millionaires. Um, the people that have made their first million, by the time they make that first million, they're not looking at being a millionaire anymore. Now they're looking at their first five million. This is what happens. Okay? Sometimes, in order to achieve a goal, you actually have to look beyond the goal, right? Because it's looking beyond that enables you to achieve what, what you're aiming for. But the challenge is that if you look beyond, then when you reach your goal, you're not satisfied anymore. And this is what happens. Um, there are people who say, I want to make $100,000 a year. I want to make $200,000 a year. I want to make $250,000. And again, it's the same thing. Your life becomes consumed, and you make decisions to try to reach that goal. And you notice things that will help you with that, and you ignore things that aren't going to help you with that. And it becomes consuming. It becomes consuming. Um, Jesus, even just a chapter before this one, he talks about the power of an eye that's focused on darkness. He says this in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. He said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is how powerful what you gaze at is. Okay, if you focus on lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Okay, what you look at, your heart does. Okay, what you look at, your heart does. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you gaze at a woman or women, if you gaze at a man lustfully in your heart, you have committed adultery. And so what you gaze at becomes sort of the, the playground of your heart. Your heart does things even when your body doesn't. And you need to understand this. This is how a bad eye can fill a heart with darkness. <clears throat> so we need to understand that, that money and stuff, these things consume us. They take over. Um, we think we'll be satisfied when we get it, whatever it is, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Money, in some ways, is like an abusive father that's never satisfied. Right? And so Jesus just asks us here, he's asking us, what do you want your life to be consumed with? Like, that's a choice that's before us. What do you want your life to be consumed with? Money, stuff, or God? Do you want your life to be consumed with things that don't last or with God's work to save and to heal the world? Whatever you gaze at will consume you. 
And so money consumes. Let's talk about being consumed by Jesus. Okay, being consumed by Jesus. And we're going to look at this really in three ways. What it means to be consumed by Jesus. We're going to see being consumed by Jesus in the gospel, then in your adoption, right? One of the blessings of the gospel. And then finally, in your money. And so first, um, what does it mean to be consumed by Jesus in the gospel? Well, I like this image that Jesus uses of light and darkness because here's what Jesus says about himself in John 8. Okay? This is, this is the gospel. Jesus, again, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this is good news, right? This is good news because no matter how dark your heart might be, no matter how dark your heart has been, if all that you gaze at is darkness, Jesus says, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me because I am the light of the world. If you don't know where to turn, if you don't know where to go to turn this around, look at me. I mean, Jesus came, and he didn't just speak about this, but he showed it. Jesus spread the light of a life that is abundant. Right? Before we can accumulate or gaze at treasures in heaven, right, we need to stop and get to know the treasure that came down from heaven. And this is what Jesus was. And Jesus came. He was the light. And what is wonder of wonders, Jesus entered into our darkness. Right? The light of life came into our darkness to make it go away, to reverse the trend. Jesus took his, our sins on himself when he was on the cross. And so no matter how dark your life has been, his light is more powerful. And we know that because he rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. So he took all of the sin of the world, all of the darkness that's ever been done, ever been gazed at, ever been looked at, whether it's been done in your heart or with your body. Jesus took all of that onto himself on the cross, entered into the darkness of that place. It actually says for six hours, Darkness came over the land when Jesus was crucified. Darkness came over. So Jesus was plunged into the darkness on earth and then in death, into the ground. He entered into the darkness that your sins and my sins deserved. And he came out the other side. He came out the other side. On Easter Sunday, Jesus' resurrection proves that God's light is more powerful than the darkness that you experience. And so you need to understand that this Jesus today is looking at you with love, with understanding, and with hope. Jesus, as the Savior, looks at you. He doesn't see your darkness and condemn you, but Jesus reaches out his light-filled hand and says, come with me. Come with me. If you follow me, you will not continue to walk in darkness. 
because I will give you my light. This is the gospel. Jesus knew his purpose in life wasn't to leave a garage full of stuff. It wasn't to be consumed with money. In Jesus' life, he was consumed with two things. Two things. Jesus was consumed with God and you. Jesus was consumed with God and you. That's why he came. Can you receive that this morning? Do you realize that you are one of the consuming passions that led God to come to earth? That's good news. That is, that is overwhelming to think that God would love us like that. Because where we failed, he didn't fail. And he came for us who have failed. And so, we could be consumed with Jesus because he was consumed with us. Right? He was consumed with us in the gospel. Um, second, let's just put a little finer point on the blessing of adoption. Right? The blessing of adoption. Um, justification is the promise and the, and the blessing that God forgives you. So as much darkness as you've amassed in your life, as much darkness as you've gazed at, acted on, as far down the darkness cycle as you've been in your life, I know I've, I'll go toe-to-toe with any of you in this room about how deep your darkness has been, compare it to mine. Um, God forgives that, right? That's what justification does. But God does more than simply forgive us. God does more than simply wipe our slate clean. God adopts us into his family, right? Do you remember that image where the judge pronounces us not guilty and then the judge stands up and he comes near to us, the recently forgiven defendant, and he performs a second legal act. God says, now that I have forgiven you, I'm going to adopt you. So I'm not just going to forgive you and send you back off into the life that you came from. I'm going to forgive you and then I'm going to say, come home with me. Come, be my daughter. Be my son. I am your heavenly father now. This is the blessing of adoption. The Bible teaches us that God adopts us. He is now our dad. God is our dad. That's how much he loves us. I think that when we understand this, we understand this, this this helps us that we're now in this family where, where God is king, not money. Right? Money isn't the controlling influence in our life anymore, but God is. God's love, God's ways, God's protection. And when we let this truth of adoption define us, it begins to consume us. I feel like one mark of a growing Christian is that you're never, I don't know, you're never two thoughts away from your adoption. Right? That it becomes easier and easier for you to remember, oh yeah, yeah, I'm adopted. And that affects this relationship. You know, I'm adopted, that affects how I work. I'm adopted, that affects the way that I treat other people. I'm adopted by God. Right? And, and this is a truth that you want to let consume you. Right? This is a truth that will produce light. 
that will make you radiant. And I think when we, when we consider this, when we understand this blessing of adoption, it exposes money for the abusive authority that it is. Like money doesn't care about you. Your stuff doesn't care about you. Your stuff wants to control you and make you feel like you will never, ever have enough. Like that's what it will do to you. If you want to go down that route, if you want to choose to live that way, it will never be satisfied. Um, there's an amazing quote, Mark Cuban, who was, I don't know if he was a co-founder, but he was early on in Microsoft, billionaire, right? Left the company, it had been a long time ago, did a bunch of things. He did the, um, what was that movie, uh, the, the Benefactor, one of those reality TV shows where he just wanted to give somebody, I don't know, it was a million dollars, I think it was. And um, so he's been involved in all kinds of stuff, right? And you always wonder, like, what does a guy do when he has everything? Um, and so he bought the Dallas Mavericks basketball team, you know, years back. And he was striving and striving. He wanted to buy a champ. He's like, I got all this money. I should be able to put together a championship team and win it all, right? And year after year after year, he'd get close, but never, ever get over. Never get over. And, um, and then finally, one year, finally one year, he wins it all, right? It was the year LeBron James went to the Miami Heat. Um, the Dallas Mavericks beat the Heat in the finals. And so he finally got over the hump, okay? And so on the night when they won the championship, okay, he's being interviewed. They get a microphone into his, you know, in his face, and this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, you know, I probably won't even shower for six months, right? He says that laughing. And then he said this. Listen to what he said, okay? This is a guy who's a billionaire, you know, part of Microsoft, right? Been on television, had all kinds of fame, owns an NBA basketball team, and finally wins the championship of the National Basketball Association, right? World champions, okay? And he says, I'm not going to shower for six months. And then he says this, my biggest fear is that I can't remember every little part of it. Every emotion, every feeling I went through as the clock was winding down, I was just hoping I could just do an emotional videotape of myself and just keep it. So that's my biggest hope and fear that I'll be able to feel this forever. Man, all the money, all kinds of fame, all kinds of approval. And the night of the celebration, he's already worried. He's already afraid because he knows it's not going to last. He, and, and what he doesn't know is that he's been consumed. You know, it's, he can't ever be satisfied with his accomplishments, right? Because money, power, you know, control, approval, fame, like none of this stuff can ever ever make us satisfied. The only people who think it'll satisfy are the people who are still hoping to get there. But the folks who are there, man, I'm afraid, I wish somebody could do an emotional videotape so I could watch that over and over again because I know it's just not going to last. Friends, money will treat you like this. It will hold out the world for you if you just make more, if you just get more, if you just get this or get that. And God is here to say, look, 
Let me be your dad. Leave money and all of its control and let me be your dad. Because God says, you know what? I love you. I love you right now, no matter what you've done or what you haven't done. I love you before you achieve any of your goals, even the good ones. And you need to understand that I am satisfied with you. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I am well pleased. What I want more than anything else for you is that you rest in your relationship with me. I want you out of the rat race. I want you out of the unending hamster wheel. You just need to know that what you're looking for, the the satisfaction, the purpose, the, the drive to accomplish, like none of those will satisfy you if you don't have a relationship with me. And I want to meet those deep needs in you. And I can if I'm your father. This is the blessing of adoption. Now, does this make us lazy? Does this kill any sort of ambition that we have? Does this destroy all of our goals? If you want to grow, if you want to change, what about all of that? Um, I would say no. It doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us not have ambition. It doesn't make us not want to achieve things. But what it does is it changes our motivation for achieving those things. You don't need to achieve those things so that you're not a bum. You don't need to achieve those things to become something, but you strive because you already are something. You work because you already have God's approval. Not to earn it, but because you have it. And and here's what happens. Here's what happens. What this does um, is that this shows us then another side of God. Okay? God wants us to work hard. Right? Paul even said, man, I worked harder than anybody else. He's like, I labor and I strive. I agonize. You know, he talks about sleepless nights and, and all, the, just all the things that, that the apostle did. He was incredibly zealous, incredibly ambitious, incredibly goal-driven and, and, and wanted to accomplish amazing things for God. But when you understand your adoption, here's what happens. God says, okay, You want to set a goal? You want things to change? You want a new career? You want to have a more meaningful job? You want to become a better person in this area? Fantastic. Terrific. You know what? I want those things too. Let's do them together. God says your goals, as long as they're in line with my word, and let's make sure you're doing that, but as long as they're in line with what I've told you is my heart and my will for you, then yeah, let's do these things together. And guess what? You just need to know that part of what will make you happy in life is if we take this journey together. Because I'm going to tell you a secret, says God. Your real satisfaction is not going to be in when you achieve this goal. Your real satisfaction, your real purpose is going to be achieved on the way. It's on the way. 
this is why a relationship with God is everything. Because no goal that you set, even if you set God's goals in your life, if you don't recognize the need for a relationship with him, if you're not doing this with him, then you will never, ever be satisfied. But the miracle of the gospel is that when God is your dad and you're doing it with him, you begin to be satisfied on the way. You don't have to wait. That's amazing. That is a gift that will change your life forever. Um, Because when we are driven by ambition to have to achieve in order to feel like something, then we have to achieve that as fast as we can. Okay? I got to get this done in a month. I got to make this decision now because if I don't make this decision now, then the eight other decisions need to get made aren't going to get made until later. And if they get made later, then I don't know when I'm ever going to achieve this goal. And what happens if I screw up and I wait too long? Right? Anybody else feel that way? (laughs) So I feel. I'm almost 40. And I'm thinking about this stuff right? Second half of life. What am I, you know, all these things, right? So, but here's, here's the miracle. Here's the amazing blessing of being adopted by God. God says, you know what? Um, this first decision, let's make it together. And if we make this decision together, you're going to be satisfied. You don't have to wait, right? It's that pursuit of having to have the goal achieved that causes us to accelerate the pace of our lives. Are you with me? But when we realize that happiness and joy come on the way, in the journey, then we don't have to go so fast. God is saying, slow down. Slow down. It's not about the end. It's about the journey. And if you walk with me, you will be satisfied. You'll be happy on the way. Okay, last thing. I want to look at is just how do we be consumed by Jesus then in our money, right? You understand the gospel. You understand your adoption. Now then, how does this material, how does this filter down and trickle into your money? Well, it's pretty simple. This is just a slide from before. Um, If you've been adopted by God, then guess what? Now, when you tithe, when you tithe 10% of your income, you're given to your dad and you're wanting his family to grow deeper and wider. That's what your tithing does, right? It enables the church, which is God's family, to grow deeper and wider. Then, um, providing for your needs. When you spend money on your needs, when you pay your bills, when you pay your rent, when you, do, when you buy your groceries, every time you do that, you can rehearse that God is my dad. He's providing. Like this is a picture of God as the provider who has given me strength to work, who's given me the ability, right, to work and to, and to have this job. So he's providing for my needs by giving me this job. Thank you, dad, that I can work. Thank you, dad, that I have this job that can pay for my needs. And when you do that, your relationship with God goes deeper because you're remembering, you're gazing now, not just at the the, the receipt. You're not just gazing at the total at the checkout stand, right? But you're gazing at your father who has provided for you again. And then when you care for others, when you care for others, what you're doing is that you are reflecting, you're displaying that God is a dad to all. When you 
meet someone else's needs, then you are displaying for them that either, if they're a Christian, that God is their dad and he's providing for them just like a good dad would, or you're inviting them to experience God as their dad. If they're not a Christian, you're caring for their needs. It means you're, in, you're helping them see that, you know what, God is a dad to me. He wants to be a dad to you. I'm going to meet your need. And God can meet all of your needs. And then fourth, when you spend your money to celebrate God's goodness in life, you rehearse. You rehearse that God wants to have celebrations. Um, In our family, we have something called one-on-one time, where Lainey or I, we take one of the four kids, and we just go do something. So me and Nathan, Lainey and Ryan, me and Jamie, Lainey and Amanda, you know, that kind of thing. We just go somewhere. Um, Go to get... I don't know, go to get a dessert, go for ice cream, go whatever. And we just hang out. Um, Every time you spend money on something you don't need, you can turn to God and realize that God's having one-on-one time with you. That God is your dad and he wants to celebrate his abundance in your life. When you spend money in these four ways, you rehearse your adoption, and your money then leads you to be consumed by Jesus. Okay? These ways, if you think about it, right, if you connect God to it, will lead you to be consumed by Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our dad. Thank you for caring about us this way. Thank you for teaching us that this is how you think and you feel about us. Um, This is a privilege that that we just need to stop and gaze at more often. Lord, we are so thankful for the way that you provide for us. And I pray that you would help us this week This week, Lord, help us to rehearse and remember as we spend our money that you are our dad. Let our money lead us to be consumed by you. Filled with your glorious, radiant light. Father, what would we be like? What would we be like as a church if our whole family was not consumed with money but consumed with you? What would this place be like if we cared more about you than we did about our stuff? I pray that you would speak to each one of us and that you would show us how we can be filled more with your light. And Lord, for those who are here who don't know you, would you please press on their hearts? Help them to see clearly. Help them to gaze at you as the adopting father and to come to you confessing their sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.